Welcome to Recently Logged, where last Christmas you gave us your hearts, but the very next day we gave them away. This year, to save you from uh, having no podcast, we're actually recording episodes. Whoa. Kind of. <laughs> but hey guys. Hello. How's it going? Here we are. It's the Christmas season. We're in December. Christmas comes but once a year, once a year, once a year. Christmas comes but once a year, and now it's here. Now it's here. It's the holiday season, so whoop-dee-doo and dickery-dock. Okay, uh, it's, just, it's just two solid minutes of us singing Christmas songs. We're going to get taken down. <laughs> uh, but I'm Micah. And I'm Robbie. And together we talk about movies sometimes. We're, well, yeah. Occasionally. On occasion. Every other week or so. Yeah, around then, you know. <laughs> but we're back, and this time we're going to be doing a little bit of a, a special episode Whoa. in terms of it's not like a about one movie. What are we doing, Ravi? We're we're talking about a bunch of movies. Whoa. <laughs> we're so talking many about movies. Um, specifically like two weeks of movies that we watched, like yeah, all we the films we watched within a span of two weeks within the last, you know. So here. The time for those, of you, the for those of you who are episode. new to the podcast, we do something <laughs> called the What We Watch segment at the end of every episode where yes. we talk about everything we've watched since the last episode. Yes. Since we didn't do a last episode, <laughs> we're doing a whole episode that's just going to be talking about all of the stuff we've logged since our last episode. We're going to give our opinions, our ratings, we're going to dive into it a little bit more than we normally would. Well, we're going to have fun, and we're going to be talking about Christmassy things. Who'd have thunk it? That was a much uh, more succinct description than me trying to... <laughs> Yeah, I, almost, I almost was going YouTuber brain. I was about to be like, so strap it. <laughs> so strap, let's jump right on. <laughs> oh no. Uh, well, uh, I guess without further ado, let's <laughs> go on to the, <laughs> the next segment. Let's. Alright, so the first movie we're going to be talking about is something I watched on December 6th called I Married a Witch. Whoa, you did what? What? That's crazy. <laughs> it's a movie called I Married a Witch. <laughs> um, it's my second Renee Claire film. Easily my worst joke of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had previously watched his... Uh, like on the cusp of not silent era anymore French musical. Uh, so that was pretty cool. But this is one of his American films, and it's about a guy who marries a witch. Nice. And the the witch's father, like, it opens with, like, this prologue about them, like, getting burned at the stake, but then their spirits come back, like, in the 40s, and they're, like, reincarnated. <laughs> um, they, like, break out of a haunted tree. It's it's a whole thing. Um but, like, the witch and her dad, they're, ca they're causing hijinks, and the witch is trying to get this guy to fall in love with her, but then she so drinks he, her own love potion. Is he, like, a warlock? No, he's just a regular guy. Oh. I... <laughs> he married a witch. He's not a no, witch no, himself. No, her dad. Yeah. He he's is. a warlock. Yeah. Okay. He's not also a witch. He's a warlock, I guess, <laughs> if you want to get technical about it. But, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of, like, fun effects that are, like teetering on bad but they're actually i don't know i found them to be really charming um like really the effects are some of the most impressive things about this and the camera work but the performances are really fun 
uh, Veronica Lake. I think this is like the second thing I've seen her in. That's it. a cool name. I was about to say, um, she's the main girl in Sullivan's Travels. Is that her actual name, Veronica yeah. Lake? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's pretty, it's pretty epic. Uh, but yeah, no, she's amazing here. There's some great bits, um, but it does drag a little bit, which I was a bit like let down I don't know. As it, old movies often do that, yeah, honestly. It's one of the more funny comedies I've seen from the 40s, though. So, I don't know. If it was paced a bit better, I would be more on board with it. It just gets a little repetitive in the back half. Um, but it's pretty breezy and fun. So, nice. I had a good time. I gave it a 3 out of 5. Very cool. Later that day, <laughs> well, on the 6th, <laughs> me and Robbie headed out to go see uh, a very special screening. Well... Uh, like I a mean, once... rel- relatively special, yeah. but very special screening. I mean, it was uh, one night only. The Abyss remaster, but yeah. it wasn't just like it wasn't <laughs> yeah. like exclusive to our theater. Or no, anything. no, it was like across. I think it might have been an international thing. I know. I don't think yeah. I checked that. But Jim Cameron's The Abyss with a 4K remaster, Oof. director's cut. Oof. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's like three and a half hours long. <laughs> And it kind of, even though it wasn't my favorite thing, it still kind of blew my mind. Because <laughs> James Cameron is insane. He's like he's like the craziest Canadian known to man, I think. He just <laughs> makes massive movies every time he goes to make something. Yeah, uh, the, the reviewer Silent Dawn, their review is one of the top yeah, uh, reviews yeah, yeah. for the movie. It's also on the director's cut, and I just thought this first little part of the sentence was funny. <laughs> Just totally, utterly, unabashedly, irresponsibly movie making by an or irresponsible movie making by an egotistical madman, <laughs> which does describe the movie really well, dude. It's it's crazy. Now that I've seen all of James Cameron's like feature narrative films, I have to specify because I still haven't seen two of his documentaries. Um, it's this is a very funny like artifact for his career because it like has all of the stuff that he's touched on, like, dialed up to 11 almost. Well, it's just, it's sloppier. It here. is, yeah. It's less focused, but it's literally all here. Like, this is, like, the <laughs> most James Cameron movie probably out of almost any of his movies. Like, even more so than, like, Titanic or The Way of Water. Yeah. This is, like, unabashedly, like, all of James Cameron. <laughs> if it had, like, a giant, um, like, mecha battle, it would it literally kind of, be... It, it kind of does. does. Be. They're having... Me- they're having... That's robot true. arm wars under the water. That that's, is true, that's dude. Pretty much the same what thing. The heck? It, it's like the Rosetta Stone of James Cameron's career. Yeah, so I think it has a lot of highlights, like the fact that the effects still look this good for being made in like, yeah, the late '80s is incredible. Uh, you could tell he kind of went crazy when he got a big budget. <laughs> There's so many fun like moments. There's interesting characters, though they're not the most memorable, honestly. Mm. Um, and there's really, really fantastic action set pieces, great mystery, fantastic atmosphere. Like there's so much to enjoy when you're watching The Abyss, especially yeah. especially the score, man. The score oh, I love is the fantastic. Score. <laughs> the score it makes it feel magical. Um, that being said, though. It's, yeah, it's sloppy. It's messy. (laughs) It is. It's trying to do way too much. And I don't know if the theatrical cut (laughs) is like that. I've never seen the theatrical cut. Um, I mean, but, I can't imagine changing that much and, yeah, like, having it work like that the much one, better. The one military guy's subplot feels like it takes up <laughs> way too much of the movie, and yeah. it has, like, a mini climax, like, 40 minutes before the actual end of the movie. <laughs> and it just, I don't know, it, I was not, like, vibing with it. I liked it at first, 
But I think I think how this movie honestly feels is like they set up so much really fast. It's really efficient setup for everything. Yeah. You're really getting into it. In they, typical camera they, fashion. They kind of tease the mystery, tease the mm-hmm. aliens, and then like <laughs> it's just like an hour and a half of just sitting around. Just like a, a cold <laughs> thriller in a submarine about a guy holding a missile. I was about to say, there are a lot more interesting <laughs> things going on than that, but like pacing-wise it almost feels that way. Yeah. Like you get like so much, you're hit with so many interesting things, and then for probably actually an hour, you just kind of slow down, and it's a lot of like, what are we going to do? We don't have water, yep. or food, or enough power, <laughs> and we have a nuke, and... <laughs> Yeah, no, it's very strange um, in a lot of ways. Because, yeah, it, like, touches on Cameron's, like, obsession with, like, military stuff. Like, the military unit of America and, like, technology's dual purpose for, like, uh, you know, discovery and destruction. And, like, obviously the interrelational stuff (laughs) between the divorce that's at the center (laughs) of the movie. I wonder what was happening in James Cameron's <laughs> personal life around this time. Yeah, no, it it is, it's very ambitious, and yeah, I, I generally just agree that it's kind of sloppily written, even though all the characters are very endearing, and like, I don't know, in the last like 20 minutes, I was fully on board for it. See, that's the thing, in the last, like, I did not really jive with the ending of this. I really wish it had spoilers <laughs> for the movie, the guts to just destroy the world or something. Like, I... I don't know, man. The whole... Cameron's too sentimental. I guess you guys are out of a job line really rubbed me the wrong way. There's just so much of this that feels like for no reason at all. Like it just resolves in the happiest possible way. I think think it's a bit of wish fulfillment and maybe this is pure speculation. I think Cameron wanted his divorce thing to work out. (laughs) Um, But like, I don't know. I really love the like you know, kind of plea for nature and the very optimistic view it takes on all that at the very end. I think it's no, nice. man. Like, it's literally, <laughs> it's just, it just feels contrived to a certain extent. Like, the me. earth like, itself it doesn't, is it stopping fully, us from destroying everything. But it's not the earth. They literally, I would love it more if they, if they weren't aliens. If they, Like, that was another thing. I wanted them to not be aliens. I wanted them to just be fish people. Are they, um, are they explicitly they, aliens? They're like, I reckon these guys ain't from actually underwater. <laughs> they came from the sky. Yeah, I guess they. I guess they have to be aliens. And they they mentioned that several times yeah, that yeah. they're aliens who well, came to this planet. Yeah, like everyone assumes they're aliens, but like I guess yeah, it's, I think they say that they came. But there I would I would like it more if it was actually nature, not aliens. Yeah. And then, like, again, it's like, oh, here are the reasons why we should kill all of these humans, and they're pretty decent reasons. And then he's just like, oh, because you have a wife, uh, my wife, we're going to single-handedly do world peace. I don't know why we didn't do that sooner, but... Uh, well, they were they were ready to kill the human race, yes, Mike, but and they then, were ready to let Ravi. Then they're just like the, it ends the movie with them essentially just being like the world is now in total peace. There's no need for the military anymore. Well, the whole th- the whole movie is centered around nuclear anxiety, and they're like now that no one's going to use nuclear bombs because their like destruction is assured, even though like. It already is if they launch into a nuclear war. Yeah, it's just it's but like, that you're already you're finding the contradictions no, in no. its logic. It just doesn't it doesn't emotionally. They needed work something for me. they needed something to like show them. It apparently. It doesn't work. <laughs> 
for me personally. I don't know. I really, I like it on like a personal level. Like I think the arc for the main guy um, works pretty well. I don't know. I was crying at the end, Micah. I was not. <laughs> I was tearing up. And also I have to mention before we move on, because we should move on. <laughs> I have to mention the uh, resuscitation scene <laughs> goes on way too long. I saw one of my friends it defending was, the resuscitation it's... scene. It's like five minutes of just him like slapping and screaming at this like dying woman. It's a little, a little, like honestly it made me like, at first I was like, okay. Yeah. And then like, honestly, it, I kind of was really a little uncomfortable by the scene by the end. I mean, yeah, it goes on a little long, but I think the tension of it works pretty well. Like yeah, for well, the first, well, for the first like two it, minutes. Like, it like sours. It yeah, goes from it does. A, it goes from a tension to be like, oh my gosh, he's so worried about uh, her, to being kind of like a gross display to watch. Yeah. You know? Like, but, I don't know. Maybe that's intentional. Maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> this movie ends way too happily to examine what that would be about. Yeah. I don't know. It's strange. Anyway. Strange movie. Very cool movie. Oh, very, very cool. massive movie. I love it for what it's doing the that aliens. I like. I, I don't like aliens. it for what it's doing that I don't like. Dude, anytime the aliens are doing something in the movie, it's a 10. <laughs> Three and a half. <laughs> I gave it a four out of five. <laughs> you spent a long time on The Abyss. Yeah, it's a great movie. It is a great movie. On the 7th, I watched Shaun, uh, Shaun the Sheep, The Flight Before Christmas. This was a rewatch. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I've never been the biggest Shaun the Sheep fan, even from like Hardman. <gasps> it's not, it's probably one of my <laughs> least favorite things that they do. And yeah. Just uh, give me some Wallace and Gromit of these <laughs> sheep. I think it's the, I don't like their dog. The dog. Yeah. The farm dog no, is a not bit. Not for the farm dog. Eh. I don't like the farmer. Give me, give me Wallace and Gromit. <laughs> Micah okay. just wants to see British people eat cheese for two hours, apparently. <laughs> Literally. But, you know, Shaun the Sheep, The Flight Before Christmas is, like, fine. It's fine, yeah. It's, it's pretty funny sometimes, just kind of okay other times. It's got, like, some weird commentary about family <laughs> vloggers and stuff. It's like hatching, dude. Um, where it, like, almost <laughs> is saying something I agree with, where it's like, man... Family vlogging is child labor and is bad and shouldn't exist. Yeah. But then it also kind of just writes it off as them being like young people, not it being like <laughs> a family vlogging with a child that's mm, the problem. Mm. So, and then it kind of wraps that up out of nowhere. So it's just a weird <laughs> thing to poke at in the middle of this rather short short. I just remember thinking it was kind of like Parasite when they were sneaking around the house. Just that's all house I kind of looks like Yeah, the that's all Parasite. I remember from that short. But uh, yeah, it's fun. I didn't rate it because it's a short. Uh, then on the 8th, I watched Phineas and Ferb Christmas Vacation. I popped in for the last like 10 minutes. One of that. their Christmas specials. Yeah. And this one's a classic. I love this. I grew <laughs> up on this, obviously. And like, I don't know, man. This is a, this is a darn good episode of Phineas and Ferb. Yeah, even among it's, the specials, I was it's about pretty to say, It's almost 40 minutes long, and it's just so funny. Yeah. This really just reminded me of how funny Phineas and Ferb <laughs> consistently is. I, It's such, it's such a well-written show. <laughs> anyway, I also didn't rate that because it was also not feature length. Fair enough. Then what did we do, Remy? Uh, we went out to our local AMC, and we watched the new Hayao Miyazaki movie... Yeah. New Studio Ghibli. The Boy and the Heron. Um, I think you mean How Do You Live. It should be called How Do You Live, <laughs> but it, it is what it is. Yes. Um, I like. I think this made it on both of our most anticipated lists yeah, for this for year, sure. rightfully so. Yeah, One of like the right. masters of modern filmmaking <laughs> made a new movie this year. Yeah, um, and we we got to see it. It's fantastic, I would say. <laughs> it's one of my favorite Ghibli films I've seen, honestly. 
it's it's so interesting because like it it really does feel like a I don't know, this weird, like, landmark in an artist at the end of their career. Like, they know they're at the end of their career. Well, what I think is, like, is interesting is, like, you've, ta you've talked very, like, differently about this than I feel like you should. Like, this is, mm -hmm. like, unique for Miyazaki. But again, no, like, not. all of his films very much telegraph, like, a specific thing about him. They're not especially subtle no, to no. what they're trying to do. It'll this just, is no exception. It had just been a while. Back when, I think, I think you're talking about, because I hadn't mentioned this up to this point, but I was talking about how much this reads like a commentary on his like legacy as an artist and his relationship with his son Goro Miyazaki. Well, even with just what you were saying with him like reconciling with the fact that he probably doesn't have very many yeah, movies yeah. left in him. But no, no, you're right. Like this, I, I just hadn't seen like one of his movies in a while. I but like thinking back on like all of his stuff, they're very. <laughs> like straightforward thematically and like they all very much like clearly align with his beliefs about the world and everything yeah but man the boy and the heron is like <laughs> kind of crazy though it's kind of cool yeah I, I, the animation <laughs> looks amazing as expected i mean yeah <laughs> it's it's honestly not my favorite style from them i don't know if i, I forget if they've forget if they moved away from a certain technology with it or something but it, mm. the lines are a lot crisper and stand out more they're a lot more um, thin than a lot yeah. of like the earlier ones which makes sense because those were like all cell yeah animated I, which isn't my favorite look from like these animators but it still is gorgeous so there's so many beautiful backgrounds as they're so well known for yeah the, the painted backgrounds oh my goodness the fluidity of motion and use of light is fantastic as always yeah. um, but it, you know i just thought that was notable yeah but like man i just love the setting and the themes that this plays with the the different worlds that it has are so tantalizing like this is one of the few movies I've seen in a while that I was like, wow, I wish that I could, like, go there. Yeah. Like, I wish this was real. <laughs> um, which, you know, it takes a lot for a movie to really make me feel that way. It really felt like it it spoke to me personally on a lot of levels, as well as connecting really powerfully to what I know of, of Miyazaki's story. Mm. It's got such a, a beautiful and, like, sincere message about legacy and, like, how it's not what you would think it is and yeah. how to handle when you're at the end of your life, especially as an artist. And I don't know, man, it's just gorgeous. It's so well paced. There's yeah. so many fun action scenes, clever moments. It's really funny. Our whole theater was laughing. <laughs> it was throughout pretty the whole funny. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> there's like, there's a bunch of jokes and like these parakeets that are like dude. the parakeet guys are hilarious parakeets every are single great, time dude. they're on screen somebody <laughs> somebody in the theater was laughing for almost every scene they were in it's because they're awesome they're like the they're like the funniest part of the movie <laughs> it hits a lot of the charm out of the park and balances that really well with its more serious themes to make a, a little bit more of a light-hearted viewing than a lot of his other work yeah and it's i don't know it's just kind of a masterpiece yeah, I mean, you mentioned, like, how technically great all of it is. In my mind, that didn't even occur to me, because that's, like, the base level for a Miyazaki <laughs> film. Like, obviously, he's a master at, like, filling out textured worlds, which is partially what this movie's about as well. Um, and, like, knowing what to show and knowing how to light stuff and, like, how movement should work. Um, the geography's great. Like, it's obviously a really well-directed movie. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think it's really just... I don't know, like the emotion of it works so well because it is so personal.
And I, I, it is one of his better films. It's one of my favorites from him. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because I feel like this film, more so than a lot of his other films, despite being very emotionally straightforward, is a bit more abstract on the way it goes mm -hmm. about telling its stories than a lot of his. I mentioned in my review that it's, like, surprisingly unconventional, given his already kind of strange catalog of films. Yeah, like... the structuring is very odd. <laughs> yeah. it, will, it will bring up a lot of stuff just for symbolism's sake, mm -hmm. and not really, like, like it'll re like let you rest with it emotionally, but not really have it tie too directly into the main plot. Yeah. And just a lot of stuff that I think is really, like... I don't know, interesting, from Miyazaki especially. I mean, obviously he's got a lot of depth behind all of his films, but this was just presented in a way that I hadn't really seen from him that makes me immediately want to go watch it again. Like, yeah. there's so much to chew on when you're watching it. Exactly, yeah. No, I feel like my first view, like, through the lens of Miyazaki's, like, giant career and everything, I want to do some research and watch it again. You gotta watch The Kingdom of the Dreams. Yeah, madness. exactly. Because <laughs> it feels like a direct, like, continuation of, a kingdoms of, uh, of the, the, the Kingdom of Dreams and Madness. Yeah, but, like, even stuff like um, Totoro and, like, even Ponyo both have kind of unconventional structures, too. Yeah, but yeah, this, no, Yeah, but this feels like a totally different beast somehow. I don't know how he's still innovating this late in his career he's amazing right yeah and i of course gave it a five out of five i gave it a four out of five i didn't totally gel with how some of it is paced out like over the course of it i think it's a little clunky um but like i was never i was never bored Get off the stage. and it's still really good parakeet king i yeah no i i have a feeling if like it hits a bit harder on a rewatch i could i could easily bump it's, it to yeah, a five. i was crying at this movie i none was not that, none i of was that not abyss crying trash. i was tearing up but i was not like full on crying or anything i was crying uh it really is beautiful though please go watch it if you have yeah, the chance for sure. go watch <laughs> it in theaters if you can yeah um then on the ninth yeah on the ninth I watched, oh wow, I watched a lot on the night. You ninth. watched a lot, yeah. Uh, on the ninth, I first watched The Social Network for Whoa. the first time. David Fincher, which this unfortunately continues me, like, Dude. loving every <laughs> Fincher film Fincher. I've seen. I am, it's so embarrassing. It's the most it's embarrassing. It's like the most embarrassing thing besides that Tarantino watch through <laughs> I did. I like every time I finish one of the films and I'm like, man, that was really that good. Was so good. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, The Social Network, I really don't have too much to add to this movie that you have not heard. <laughs> this is like a Letterboxd classic for It really sure. is, dude. It's one of the top like popular movies on Letterboxd, and beyond that, it's just a really popular movie in general, and for good reason. It is, you know, everybody talks about um, Aaron Sorkin's screenplay, and <laughs> that really is, like, honestly the standout. Fincher still directs the heck out of this. But it's just such an emotionally satisfying screenplay to watch play out. Almost to the point where it feels a little bit, like, blocky <laughs> from that. But I think that's just because I've seen so many things analyzing it before. Well, I think Aaron Sorkin's style and something like Moneyball falls into that, too, where it's, like, everything's so well-defined and, like, character motives, like, you can kind of, <laughs> like, see where it's going. And it's still really satisfying, but, like, it f feels a little blocked out yeah, in the, the way he writes. The structure of this really helps it from that problem compared to something like Moneyball, though, yeah. being that it plays out of, like, chronological order. Oh, um, interesting. Well, kind of, like, kind of. It's, it's <laughs> It plays out in order, just it's jumping between two timelines. Oh, that's cool. Um, so that gives it kind of an ease of just being, like... Feeling like you're so stuck in the structure. But the performances are fantastic. There are some parts that are genuinely hilarious, genuinely sickening, genuinely <laughs> saddening, 
and uh, Andrew Garfield is the greatest actor of all time. Also, there's this line in here, I want to mention this, I'm trying to be brief since this is one that I only watched, but there's a line <laughs> where Justin Timberlake, after like a fight with Andrew Garfield, like turns around to this girl with this like four foot tall bong and he just says bong hit in like the most Justin Timberlake way possible. That's hilarious. And it is the it it single handedly ruined my evening. <laughs> Southland Tales energy, Micah. That's funny. It's so funny. There there's truly so many like all timer scenes in here, fantastic dialogue, fantastic line deliveries. It's about as perfect of a movie as I think you can get. I mean, Aaron Sorkin and David Fincher sounds like a director-writer pairing made yeah, in they're, heaven. They're, they're both very, <laughs> they're very structural. Yeah, people. exactly. It really does work so well. <laughs> uh, I, of course, gave it a 5 out of 5. Uh, also on the ninth, I watched Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Dude, a banger, um, a classic. Which is like, it's fine. It's not my favorite thing. <laughs> no, it's, it's not the best. It's. I, I, think, I think I love the craft on display more than I love the script on display. Yeah, that's... I, I watched it, I think, last year for the first time, and that's pretty much how I felt I about it. I love the puppet work in this, and the designs, <laughs> and the world, like, more so than even some of the Muppet stuff. Like, Dude. this is just... There's something super endearing the about weasels. what they... About what they're doing with the puppets here, <laughs> and the designs and everything. Yeah. But I don't know, man. The stories... It's, it feels really long for 53 minutes, and, like, a lot of the songs, I was just like, what? Huh? <laughs> like it's it doesn't feel like a Christmas thing. I know it is a Christmas thing, but only like tangentially really. Yeah. Um and it's just it's just fine. There's nothing amazing. There's nothing like I mean there is amazing, but not like overall. I wouldn't call it amazing. I wouldn't call it bad by any means. No. It's just really it's charming. Yeah, no, it's sweet to like throw on every once in a while, you know? Yeah, I gave it a three out of five. Very cool. Then what did we watch on the ninth? Remy? Then we logged into the old Disney Plus account, um, and we watched a Diary of a Wimpy Kid Christmas Cabin Fever, which is a mouthful of a title. Uh, this is part of the animated trilogy. Why did I say it like that? Animated trilogy of Diary of a Wimpy Kid adaptations uh, that have been coming out on Disney Plus that which, are actually written by Jeff Kenny. And so. it's bad. Yeah, they're bad. <laughs> um, sorry, in case you don't sorry, remember. Jeff Kenny. I know you, you make really endearing little books. They're funny. They're great. Uh, not sure about your screenplays, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. We did a whole series covering the like original trilogy of live action adaptations of Diary of a Wimpy Kid. So I grew like to love a lot of the characters from it, even though I've never read any of the books. I've read a couple of the books, and they're good. Like they're good books. Yeah, like, they're obviously like very like young kid books, but for that they're funny and creative and. You know, they have a lot you can dig into for that. Well, what I've always liked about these, uh, at least the original movies, is that, like, the character dynamics for comedy are so well-defined. Yeah. Like, you can... It's it's, it's that, that whole thing. Yeah, like that SpongeBob You can pair anyone off and or just have Seinfeld funny stuff thing, happen. Yeah. Or you have such really well-defined comedy characters that you could be like, oh... <laughs> Now I'm writing a situation where Greg Heffley runs into Jerry <laughs> Seinfeld and they trip over SpongeBob. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, you, and, you know, somebody could picture exactly what you mean by that. Yeah. Um, so I think in that sense, like, it's kind of hard to make a really awful Diary of a Wimpy Kid movie because, like, the source, like, the the basic, basic bones of it are really good. But honestly, um, these animated yeah. movies, they strip the basic, basic bones of character out of these movies. <sighs> They're just, they feel like... No matter how much 
you know, like leeway I give them, like I can get over the kind of weird looking animation, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, they just feel like they were written as TV pilots and nothing else. See, and I, I can't get over like <laughs> the animation combined with the writing at, at work here yeah. makes this feel like, I don't know, like it feels so amateur in every way. The animation yeah. is so unexpressive beyond that's like, yeah that's like the it's biggest not thing. it's not bad it i doesn't don't think look the aesthetics awful, are bad yeah. and i don't think like drawing that directly from the book's art style is a bad thing but these <laughs> character faces are so unexpressive yeah. it's practically like actually watching stick figures and that's not good like that <laughs> yeah that is not good for like i you could make these characters faces blank and i think you'd they would have about as much emotion displayed <laughs> as in this like I, and yeah. I, I mean that as a serious criticism like these character designs on a facial level do not work to give you any engagement with the character um, personality from the character or emotion from the character. Yeah. And with the world that they're designing, since they're so low budget, the entire world feels sterile and empty. And you pair that with kind of lackluster <laughs> amateur screenplay writing. Yeah. And it's just bad. It's just, yeah, no, the whole thing does feel very amateur, which is such a shame. Like I, I really do like Diary of a Wimpy Kid. I kind of wanted to like this, and there's like occasionally a funny joke. Is there? Occasionally, where are the jokes? That was the opening sentence of my review. Where Dude, are the jokes? It's funny because like the 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 first movie was even worse about this, or even worse about this. They're like set up what seems to be a joke setup and then just have no punchline. Yeah. No, like it happens many times throughout this movie. Yeah. But it happened one time so bad that it like I actively was questioning for a second if there was like a mistake and they had to cut something from the film. Yeah, it's so weird. Because there is a clear punchline setup, a clear carrying yeah. of that to the next step. And then there's no punchline. It just it just continues. The scene moves on. Yeah. No, it's so strange. I think it really is. And I hate to chalk it all up to just bad screenwriting, but that I feel like that really is. The it's not even like problem bad with bad screenwriting. It's just amateur screenwriting. Yeah. Like it is quote unquote bad, but there, there's good ideas here. There's no, there's good, good ideas. There's heart yeah. here. But it's just not backed up by anything. Yeah, I'll stand by that. This one, the Christmas special, Cabin Fever, is better than the first one. I didn't. I didn't watch that. I didn't want to um, watch that one. So, but I haven't watched Roderick Rules yet. I can't imagine it's that much better. I kind of want to give it a try now, though. Like, like Roderick Rules is like it's such a fun, a really plot fun line. story. Yeah. yeah. But I gave it a two out of five. It's my favorite arc of Diary of Wimpy Kids, the Roderick Rolls arc. Um, but I also gave Cabin Fever a two out of five. <laughs> then, Ravi, what is that? Uh, on the 10th, okay, I uh, watched yeah, you do that first, A Muppet's Christmas Letters to Santa, which you have as logged, I think. I've seen it before, but I didn't yeah. watch it this time with you guys. And it was so long ago, I don't really remember which one that is. There are a lot of Muppet's Christmas specials. Okay, so they're like, uh, Kermit and Piggy and Fozzie are outside this post office and they have to deliver the letters to Santa. There's a whole musical number in the post office. Um, and then, like, they forgot to deliver... Gonzo forgot to deliver someone's letter, and I, he has to, like, go to the North Pole. I vaguely bring remember it to that, but not well enough to say anything <laughs> critical or not about it. Yeah, um... <laughs> I don't know. It has kind of a silly, like, payoff at the end. It's, like, maybe the real <laughs> magic where the friends we made along the way kind of thing. Like, literally that. Which is fine. Like, you can have a simple, sentimental ending, especially for a Muppets thing um, during, like, a Christmas special. 
But I don't know. It's just largely uninteresting. Like I think its biggest crime is how unfunny it is a lot of the time. Um, there's like a good bit once in a while. It's really hard to like totally neuter and like mess up the Muppets in their comedic, you know, like potential. But it's also really easy, I feel, with the Muppets to just kind of have them do their own things. Yeah. Without, like, kind of forgetting to write like clever jokes, which is kind of a lot of the humor, even beyond just like, oh, Kermit said this, Fozzie <laughs> did that. Yeah. Like a lot of what makes the Muppets so memorable and like the ones that are really good is the fact that they work with such clever jokes paired with, like, their story and setting and yeah. scenery. Yeah, now this one falls into very much, like, generic sitcom writing jokes yeah. with, like, the occasional reference to each person's, like, traits. Yeah. Um, so it just comes off kind of boring. Um, but Bobo the Bear is an airport, like, TSA <laughs> guard. Shout out to Bobo the Bear. I love Bobo so much. He's so good. <laughs> He's so funny. He gets paired with um, Nathan Lane in this, and they're both, like, the TSA agents. <laughs> That's funny. That's my favorite part of the movie. Um, but I don't know. It's all right. I, I probably wouldn't watch it again, though. Um, I give it a 2 out of 5. It's just mostly boring. That's its biggest offense. Nice. Uh, on the 10th, I watched Good Time. Hey! This was a rewatch for me, of course. It's one of my favorite movies. And I was showing it to uh, my girlfriend and uh, one of my friends. You were threatening someone with a good time, Mike? Literally. <laughs> uh, neither of them had seen it before. And it was, like I was nervous to turn this on because this is like a weird movie to it turn on. It is a bit strange. This, this was actually the the friend. This was the first time I had ever watched a movie with him. So <laughs> I was like kind of like sweating. I was like, Ooh. Micah, this is the this is now your entire uh, like cinematic personality to them. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Honestly, <laughs> I love Good Time. <laughs> yeah, no, Good Time's great. Uh, they both really enjoyed it. Haley, uh, my girlfriend, was talking about how like. How much the Safdie Brothers films I've showed her has given her anxiety. I'm like, that's the point. That's the juice. But yeah, I'd, I've also shown her Uncut Gems. Um, but man, there's just so much I love about this. It's paced really well. The performances are fantastic. Yeah. It's just doing what it does super well. It's not the most impressive film in the world, um, but it nails in what it's doing and it just does not let up. It goes and it goes, and I love, like, all of the different sequences. <laughs> There's not, like, a sequence I don't like in this. It's occasionally really funny, occasionally extremely biting, and, like, the ending is so brutal. I love the ending of this movie. Yeah, the final shot is honestly one of the most memorable things about it. The final shot is, like, mind, one anyway. of the most memorable final shots of any movie <laughs> I've seen. Um, I give it a 5 out of 5. Yeah, I, you're more of a good time guy than I am, but I will agree that it's great. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big good time guy. Great stuff. Uh, then... Yeah, on the on the 11th... What did you watch? I watched the new Doctor Who special, um, yeah. The Giggle, <laughs> the Giggle, is the name of this one. Um, wow. <laughs> and it, I mean, it's the it's the final one of the three specials that Russell T Davies was coming back to write for Doctor Who. Um, it's the return of David Tennant and whatnot, and um, also the announcement of the new Doctor and everything. Thanks, British people. Yeah, they, thank you, BBC, for <laughs> supplying with me with this. Um, I watched it with Luke. Um, friend of the podcast and friend of me as well. Um, but yeah, it was, I think, probably the worst one of the Doctor Who specials. I really liked the last one. Um, but this one's just a lot more boring. It's a lot less funny. Um, boring. It, it reads like old man yells at cloud almost. <laughs> it's like about like social media outrage, which is not 
um, great. Like, it doesn't pull it off with a lot of finesse. Yeah. Um, but the finale's fun. Like, you get a lot of fun stuff right at the end. So it wasn't, like, a complete wash. And I liked Neil Patrick Harris more than I thought I would. I'm not usually mm. I'm not usually a fan of his. Um, but he was pretty well utilized here. Right, so. He paces the room in the, in the middle of the day going, <laughs> Neil Patrick Neil Harris. Neil Patrick Harris. If I ever get my hands on him, no. <laughs> I just, I think he's kind of like weirdly overplayed a lot of the time. I don't know. He's, he's weird. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was fine, I think. I Did gave it a two out of five. Two out of five. On the 11th, I watched Home Alone 2. Lost in New York, <laughs> which I can't even say the title without wanting to quote John Mulaney at Micah, you. Micah, you're, you're becoming like a 20-something white guy where you can't do anything without referencing a John it's, Mulaney it's a, it's a problem. It's a problem. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Home Alone 2 is an odd movie. I was really looking forward to it because I had heard good things about this. I know some people yeah. like this one better than the first one. And... I don't know, it's just odd. It's it, it does a really good job in the front end of kind of like, I guess like justifying in-universe emotionally and like in a comedic way yeah. why there would be a Home Alone 2. Like there's some really funny bits about it. Yeah. It doesn't feel dry. It doesn't feel rehashy. It feels, it feels nice. Like it's really good. What they do with the characters that we're all getting back to is great. It really got me going in the first, in the first, like, 20 minutes or so. I was like, this is about to be fantastic. I mean, I, I watched, what, like, the first 30 or 40 minutes of it? Yeah. Um, and I, th- I, yeah, I thought, I, I agree. I think the setup of it is really clever, like, yeah, even in the they, context of a sequel to even when they get, Even when they get to the hotel, all the stuff with Tim Curry and yeah. everything is really fantastic, really funny. That's where I tapped it's, out. It's really engaging, and it's <laughs> kind of there that it kind of starts to lose pace, because... They want to, like, I feel like they really wanted to go through just the Home Alone motions. Like, they wanted to hit their, like, we're we're making a Home Alone 2. Now, here are the things that Home Alone did. Let's do them all again. Yeah, it seems really and, like, weird. And that like, works it seems like they ways. wanted to hit all of the beats from the first movie yeah, for some like, reason. The, the, the hotel, like, clearly hits some of the beats from the original. Yeah. But I was just thinking, like, oh, that's fun. Like, because it's the first bit of it. But then it kind of, like is weirdly chunky from then on doing like here is this beat here is this thing from home alone but different here is this thing from home alone but different and it's still all like charming and fun but it feels it feels really like it just kills its own structure just to have all of the home alone stuff mm. by the time we get back to um harry and mar if i can remember their names <laughs> joe pesci joe pesci um <laughs> like and they have their whole big toy store finale and everything it just feels like, kind of unnecessary. Like, I've already watched the film, and now we're just doing this again <laughs> because Home Alone. And on, top of, Home Alone. and on top of that, like, the the traps and stuff this time around really are so ridiculously <laughs> crazy that it, it just adds to that feeling. They're still fun, but it adds to that feeling of this kind of being unnecessary because the only direction they felt like they could go from the first Home Alone, where it was the same kid beating up the same people. Yeah. Even though this is a different setting, it's really not that drastically different. It even references a lot of the first movie's tracks. Yeah. And it's just, like, kind of boring at parts because of that and feels a little blocky and, like, yeah. every trap would kill these people. <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's fine. I gave it a I gave it a three out of five. It's just 
like it's I don't know it just feels like it sacrifices it being really fantastic mm. for being a home alone for sequel. like oddly fan servicey for it not even being a franchise yet exactly. kind of thing. like there are elements in here that I actually enjoy more than the first movie yeah. but ultimately the first movie is just so str- much stronger because yeah. it's just doing what it's it, so tight it's doing dude. what it's doing yeah uh, Plus, you know, although bear in mind, both of them are scored by John Williams, so... Great score. <laughs> then what did you watch, Remy? Uh, we watched... I th- Yeah, you watched it no, with me. No, you watched something else, I thought. No, no, this is this is my next thing. Oh. Yeah. Um, I, we sat down and we watched It's Christmas Time Again, Charlie Brown. Yes, which I you did not log. Because I didn't log, because yeah. I didn't review it. I forgot about <laughs> this. It's Christmas Time Again, Charlie Brown. Yeah, it's one of the 90s Charlie Brown Christmas specials. Yeah, which... Later, Charlie Brown, which I've mentioned before, is just, it's, eh. Um, the vibes are just weird. I don't know. I said in my review that it was, like, oddly dry, considering that we still have, like, all of the same crew, basically. Like, all of the main, like, auteurs of the great 60s ones, like, um, Bill Melendez, Charles Schultz, and, yeah. um, uh, who does the score? Ah, I don't remember. He's so good. <laughs> uh, Vince Guarialdi. Um, like, all of them are still here, like, doing their thing, but it just lacks the, like, energy and, yeah. like, passion that the old ones have. Not, I don't know what it's happened. Not a, it's not as funny, because no. a lot of it's jokes. Like, it, it, before, again, you'd have to reference the Thanksgiving one, since we had watched mm. that relatively recently. Yeah. Like, you have an entire, like minute-long bit where Snoopy, like, boxes a lawn chair. Yeah. And it's, like, really funny, but there's nothing really like that happening in this. It's just kind of, like, kids saying stuff that 60-year-olds would find funny, Yeah, A kid being like, hmm, I don't know about these gender politics. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember that line from this. Uh, But that's just the vibe. Yeah, the vibes, yeah. Like, it's, it's it's not bad by any means, but it's not, like... It's not the same. It doesn't feel like it has the same priorities. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it has as much to say, and it's a lot more haphazardly thrown together. Like, a majority of this... Um, it feels like little one-off is just that they... No, it's from. literally, like, <laughs> 20 to 50-second scenes where someone will come in, they'll say something, someone will say something back, and then there'll be a punchline, and then they'll fade to the next thing. Again, Linus will walk in and be like, I can't believe these gender (laughs) politics. And Lucy will be like, ah. And then it will fade to black. Yeah, no, it's just the vibes are all wrong. um, And I will not be watching it again. Yeah, neither will I. Uh, then, but it was okay. I oh, will say I it was, was worth say, it. I didn't rate it because it was worth it um, for that one bit where hold up, Harold Angel, the Harold Her- Angel. Oh, that's funny. Really funny. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> who's Harold Angel? Who's Harold Angel. <laughs> Hi, I'm Harold Angel. Hi, I'm Harold Angel. <laughs> that, that's a good joke. That was a good bit. I'll give. I'll give them that one. Uh, but then <laughs> on the twelfth. I believe, would be the next thing. Yeah. Uh, I watched The Green Knight. What? I watched it this time specifically with the director's commentary. Whoa. Uh, I got to listen to David Lowry's David sweet, sweet voice. He was whispering into whispering your ear. Whispering into my ear. Sweet nothing. <laughs> sweet nothing's about <laughs> Dev Patel <laughs> carrying a giant axe. That's, that's what happened. Um, no, yeah. I'm doing a video on The Green Knight. I'm actively working on it right now. I'm Whoa. typing on my computer. <laughs> while we're recording. Yeah, it's actually very disrespectful to me as a collaborative uh, artist. Yeah. <laughs> He's working on a different project as we speak. <laughs> but uh, it's one of my favorite, like, quote-unquote Christmas movies. I really love a lot about it, and I feel like it doesn't get much love. I don't really know 
pretty much anybody who watched it again since it came out. <laughs> well, when did it when did it come out? Like came 2020? out in 2021. Oh, 2021. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's only been two years. Yeah, but I don't know. <laughs> like nobody's just really returned to it yet. Yeah, that's. So true. I'm working on a video for it because I think it's very interesting. I mean, I, I haven't watched fantastic. it at all. You know, Dev Patel is incredible in it. <laughs> um, there's so many cool elements. Some it looks amazing, and the big thing that I know a lot of people don't like about it. I know everybody praises it for its technical prowess. That's mm. kind of an undeniable thing about it. <laughs> but a lot of people it didn't really work for them on an emotional level. But man, this this movie st- st- like stuck with me since I first watched it. What it's doing on an emotional level, and I don't know if that's just because it's very much like feels like it's kind of more made for me. <laughs> But I it don't feels know. it very it, dude. If I saw the Green Knight just like existing somewhere, I'd be like, "This is Micah. <laughs> this is made for Micah." It's, it's like a film I would want to make. Quite frankly, it's just high fantasy with like awesome, like an awesome premise and cool settings and costuming and like some horror elements. Yeah, some abstract elements. It's a little scary. It's a little crazy. It it just seems like your it's thing. So fantastic. <laughs> I love it. I give it a five out of five. Uh, also, shout out on the 12th, I watched Oakthorn and the Old Rose of Love, what? which is a short film that David Lowry made around the same time, <laughs> I think with like leftover money from The Green Knight or something, because <laughs> it seems like the same crew yeah. practically looks like he was going for the same look. It's another Arthurian legend. Yeah, it looked um, aesthetically very similar from what I've seen of it. And it's interesting. I don't know. It's odd. It's a little slow. I don't love everything it's doing, but it's got some like surprisingly well-tensioned moments for being like a 20-minute short. <laughs> oh, um, is it like a full 20? Yeah, it's Okay, 20 I, I thought it was like a five-minute short for some no, reason. It's, it's 20 minutes. It's not like So short. he had time for a full narrative, basically. Like a full story, I mean. Yeah, I would love to, <laughs> I would love to honestly just see more like... Arthurian, uh, Arthurian, how do you say that? Arthurian? Arthurian? <laughs> I Arthurian? Think, yeah. I don't know. Tales from <laughs> David Lowry. More, Get, more tales from the legend of, of Arthur. King Arthur. <laughs> Get this guy away from Disney is the moral. Uh, then on the 14th, I watched Holiday in Santa Fe. <laughs> Santa um, Fe. My mom watches Christmas movies every day around yeah. Christmas, the month of December. She does. This was one of them. She just it turns on the <laughs> stuff. One of the... Uh, the poster She's bothers crazy. me She's crazy. She so... just turns on movies to watch them. And enjoy. She's crazy. Ah. No. This, this poster really bothers me because both of their faces look edited onto the photo really poorly. <laughs> oh gosh, I did not realize that, yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, it's like fine. If you like Mario Lopez, Mario Lopez is fun here. I like Mario Lopez. I think he's a fun rom-com guy. If we're talking like Hallmark rom I mean, yeah, you can't you can't really go wrong. He has like a fun screen persona at least. Yeah, I, I enjoy him. But this is really like what weirdly... Like, it's by the numbers. Everything about this is exactly the quality you would expect it to be. But one thing that is of note about this is it just feels so tonally off the entire movie. Like, that all of the characters and every person already knew where the story was going to go. Like, they they had had read the screenplay before. That's how all of the characters act. Like, they, they don't acknowledge the stuff that they wouldn't know yet, but at the same time, mm. like, they feel like already, like, the moment the main couple gets together, they feel like they've been dating for, like, five years. There's no, like, tension to anything narratively. It's mm. really weird. So, I don't know what's up with that, but <laughs> I gave it a two out of five. There you go. Uh, and then we went out to the theater. 
The theater. To the IMAX theater. To the IMAX theater. The IMAX laser theater. The IMAX laser theater. <laughs> and we got our retinas burned out by the projector. By Paul King. By Paul King. He personally burned our retinas. <laughs> With lasers in IMAX. Thanks, Paul King. Um, no, we went to see Wonka. Yeah, Wonka. Um, which I was, like, cautiously optimistic Very about. Very cautiously. Because <laughs> the trailers did not um, do this thing any favors. But I love Paul King, like, um, I don't know, I'm a big Paddington guy, I love Paddington 2. Paddington 2, fantastic. He, it's like a master class in, like, comedic children's screenplay writing. Like, he just structures that thing like a bullet. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Yeah, Paddington a, 2 is amazing. I'm a, I'm a huge uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory fan. Like, yeah. that's one of my all-time, like, we did from an childhood favorites. Oh, yeah, about how much we it. ranted about it, how much we loved it, it's, and how great it is. It's literally so funny <laughs> and amazing. So I, that gave me more like caution towards this because yeah. I don't know. It, it it definitely goes out of its way to directly acknowledge that one and yes. ignore the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, <laughs> which I'm okay with. Yeah, the Tim Burton adaptation is um, it has its strangeness, <laughs> but this worked surprisingly well. This was really good, actually. I mentioned, it's like, not fantastic. in my review that, like, Paul King made it work because he constructs, like, a, a plot line that works very well just on its own merits. I was about to say, this kind of feels a little bit, like, vibe-wise, like Paul King barely <laughs> holding this together with duct tape to make it work. But yeah. it does work. It's so strange. Like... I don't know. I I I want to praise like how genuine and sweet it is, which like obviously it's the guy who made Paddington. Of course, it's genuine and sweet, but like it never fails to amaze me how well Paul King is able to construct like these worlds and character webs that all seem to intersect so like effortlessly, and like it's I I just buy into all of the emotion of it so quickly. I don't know what he does. Yeah, and the writing on Willy Wonka <laughs> works surprisingly well. I was worried yeah. about the young Willy Wonka. Wonka because Willy Wonka is the kind of character that half is built off of being mysterious. <laughs> so to do kind of more of a setting for him, you have to very much reframe his character, which mm, they do. Yeah. And it works like really well. Essentially, he's just chocolate making Paddington played by <laughs> Timothy Chalamet, yeah. which is okay. <laughs> no, one thing I really admired about this is that you could basically just change up like the setting or like uh, you know, it doesn't have to be a Wonka thing. It could just be a guy who wants to do something, but then is kept from doing it. You yeah, know? the only thing that's not like that is the Oompa Loompa stuff, which is honestly, I think, the worst stuff in the movie. Yeah, it's it's like the least funny part of the movie and like the least interesting part of the and, movie. So Yeah, like the least creative part of the movie. Yeah. It just feels like, oh, they did this because... There are Oompa Loompas in Willy Wonka. Like, they're, they're, there's no reason for Oompa Loompas to be in this story. Yeah, other than the fact that, like, people expect it uh, from a Willy Wonka prequel, I guess. Yeah, so now you have Hugh Grant, <laughs> which I like Hugh Grant a lot, but he's just, like, here, and he feels like he's kind of just doing whatever. Yeah, <laughs> but... does not his best work. Timothy Chalamet, man, oh, he my surprised goodness. me with this because the trailer made him look terrible. <laughs> They played all of his worst line they reads did, in the They trailer. did him so dirty in the trailer. And all of his worst line reads are, again, the ones that are directly in reference to the 70s. Yeah, one. like calling back to a past cinematic adaptation. Because I love I love Timothy Chalamet, but he's no Gene Wilder, and he does not deliver Wonka like be. Gene Wilder. Yeah, he, he has his own be. charms. I was about to say, he's a completely... His Wonka is so different from Gene Wilder in a really good way. Good, I say. Um, I love Gene Wilder's Wonka. I love Timothy Chalamet's Wonka. So anytime he had to do, like, 
like a they they put in yeah. a Gene Wilder line. It's just it feels forced and it weird. Does. But on his own, he is so charming. He's magnetic, this. dude. He's so fun. He genuinely feels he like gets he to embodies make silly like, faces. Yeah, he embodies the magic <laughs> that he's going for. I love characters who are like just these beacons of hope who can do yeah. vaguely magical things. Like they don't have to actually explain how Willy Wonka <laughs> does any of the things he does. It's just I don't know. It puts a smile on my face. Dude, there's so many funny lines, and it's a musical. It's a musical. They buried the lead, dude. <laughs> they buried the lead. <laughs> they could have gotten me so much more excited. Like I, I think I did know it was a musical, but I had like kind of forgotten by the they time barely, like the trailers they were coming out. Tell you it's a musical. So there was a yeah. leaked bit of set footage, or it might have been officially released. I don't remember. I think it was leaked. Of a Timothy Chalamet ago. singing on set yeah. when he was writing on the carriage during, I think, the opening number. Yeah, I think it's the um, opening number. And, like, so that <laughs> kind of put in everyone's mind that it was a musical. But movies right now are really ashamed to advertise that they're musicals. Dude. And I don't know why. But, like, Mean Girls, the musical adaptation, you wouldn't know it. <laughs> uh, even Even... The color purple won't just say, "Hey, this is a musical." Yeah, the adaptation. color purple is like it's just saying it's a bold new, a bold new take, and they they show it a little bit more directly <laughs> yeah, in they, the movie. They show people like singing and dancing, at but least. the Wonka trailer and, uh, <laughs> and the Mean Girls. Girls trailer barely show any singing or dancing. <laughs> like they're really ashamed that they're musicals. I mean, I guess we'll see if it works. This is a new strategy for marketing musicals, where you're just like, "Oh, go watch it because it's like an interesting movie with a cool cast." Not because it's a musical, well, I guess. And hey, I mean, it surprised me because I was expecting with them being kind of embarrassed that the songs would just be kind of bad. But the songs aren't bad. It's like a very, it's a very quaint musical. Like, it's They're, not amazing. It's No, it's not the best. The music and is good. Like, the way I would describe it is simply if every, like, if you did the flavor of Listen to the Rain <laughs> on the Rooftops for every musical, like, song. Like, for those who remember that from the end of Paddington From the end of Paddington 2. <laughs> like, it's not like they all sound exactly like that, though. There is one of the songs that does sound pretty similar. Mm -hmm. But it's just that feel of musical, that taste of musical number. It doesn't really branch out of that that much. Yeah, where it, I would describe it as like not super amazing, like not amazing musical writing, like stage play musical songwriting, but like it it's character based enough and it's funny enough and it's like peppy enough that I I'm able to like kind of tap along to the songs without having to think about them too hard. You yeah, know? which is honestly reminiscent of the charms of the original Willie yeah, exactly. songs. Like yeah. None of those songs they're not are like, like... They're not like all-timer yeah, musicals gonna and numbers. going to sing this on the Broadway stage yeah. or anything, but they're really charming. They're that's, really yeah, sweet. that's a good they, comparison. Like they, yeah, I think that's what... They're fun, they're fun to, like, sing along with while you're watching the movie, but, like, they're not, like, all-timer musical tracks or anything. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with it as a musical, though. Yeah, no, I was really, I was really scared because modern musicals love to make like pop radio ready soundtracks. Yeah, <laughs> the greatest <laughs> showman killed um, it killed musicals <clears throat> forever. Probably. Oh goodness, man. Yeah, I, that's that was like worst. That was like nightmare scenario for me for Wonka. I was like, yeah. if this has like greatest showman esque musical numbers, I'm going to die. Dude, I think people would have been way, <laughs> or at least people in like my circle would have been way less on board to go out and watch it if it had been by those, like the people who yeah. did the music for, I forget their names, it's too... Yeah, no, I know you talked about. ...their music of The Greatest Showman. Um, but yeah. But yeah, I really loved it. 
it I wasn't. Gave it a, I gave it a four out of five. It wasn't overly reliant on like the weird cinematic Wonka canon that we have going right now. It manages to extrapolate some cool things from the text of Wonka, and also manages to be its own compelling, fun, and really sweet uh, like screenplay. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. I gave it a four out of five. I think it's pretty great. <laughs> nice. Good job, us. Indeed. Uh, then, on the 16th, I watched Carol for the first time. Whoa! Another uh, Todd Haynes movie. Another Todd Haynes. Um, I had just gone on, practically gushed about May, <laughs> December, because May, December is fantastic and one of the best <laughs> movies of the year. Um, and, you know, I'd been wanting to watch Carol for a while. It's Christmas. It's a Christmas movie. I feel like it falls under letterboxed core as well. <laughs> Vaguely, I yeah. would say. It's not like that popular, really. But no. But it's very no. much like a letterboxed, like it's like a, a synesthetics looking movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, it, you know, that's okay. It's still, it's it's actually surprisingly stylistically similar to May, December, which I say surprisingly because I've seen two other movies from Todd Haynes that are not, like, not stylistically similar to either of those movies at yeah. all. Um, but this definitely feels like it's got a lot of the same editing techniques and a lot of similar use of music and even just shot composition. Uh, the cool. grain on this looks so good. We, lo- we love some There's grain. so much grain on this and it just <laughs> looks amazing. But uh, beyond that, it, it captures a specific romantic feeling so well. Like it does that it's, it's trying to do specifically that feeling of like when you like somebody and they like you. <laughs> But, like, for some reason, you feel like you can't really tell them that. Like, you can't actually act on that mm. and that tension that exists between that. For whatever reason. Which, yeah, for where, well, there are reasons. I don't, I don't, I haven't seen Carol. I don't know. Well, it's, it's like a, it's, it's a set in, like, I think, like, the 40s or, it's set in the 50s, that's what I mm. thought. And it's about a lesbian couple. That, so yeah, that makes sense. There, there were reasons <laughs> that they could not. Um, but it, it captures that feeling so well. And it. It's so emotional, and it's really sweet, and it makes the emotional payoff of the romance so, like, effective. And it also, like, cinematically kind of subtextually ties it to the magic of Christmas. What? Which is epic. I, I had no clue it was a Christmas movie. No, like, they have like, they have their first, like, true, like, romantic moment, and, like... I specifically noted at this point, like, the lack of Christmas music and the kind of toned-back score. Mm-hmm. And then once they have this, like, this, like, sweeping Christmas song starts Aww. playing and snow starts falling. <laughs> That's I was like, cool. I was like, this is, this is great. I this need to watch Carol, stuff. apparently. That sounds awesome. <laughs> no, I loved what this movie is doing. It's, it's, it's very much my kind of movie. Um, I gave it a 5 out of 5. Very cool. The performances are also fantastic. Let me throw that out there. Kate <laughs> Blanchett is... I mean, incredible in this. Kate Blanchett's like one of the best uh, actresses currently. Rooney, Rooney Mara, who I had not seen in too much else, is really, really good in this. Yeah. Uh, and she's really more of the lead. But what's funny about this is she's doing, <laughs> I swear, the exact same accent that Natalie Portman's doing in May, December. They're doing the same voice and they look kind of similar. That's I'm so like, funny. what's going on? <laughs> Reincarnation, like <laughs> but Yeah, I gave it a five out of five. Also on the 16th, I watched uh, I Want a Dog for Christmas, Charlie Brown. Charles. Uh, this was made in 2003, and it's like all the other, like, well, all the other complaints we had about the other one, <laughs> but even worse, because it's even newer. Yeah. It's just, 
late career Schultz just got cynical, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Literally, I put in my review, it, Rerun, who's the main character of this for some reason, uh, who is so annoying, but like every word out of his mouth sounds like kind of like a gotcha boomer Facebook post. Yeah, just like... Not that I'm, I'm not like totally anti-boomer, but like there's a there's a very specific flavor of like cynicism about the, a new like younger generation yeah. amongst boomers and a lot of rhetoric that they use. No, I wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, what I was saying is I wouldn't yeah. even call rerun like an overall bad character. It's not bad yeah. that that he has jokes like that and that is, but it's every line out of his <laughs> mouth and he's talking ninety percent of this entire thing. He does not shut yeah. up, and also the entire thing is about him wanting a dog and he does not deserve a dog. He's so <laughs> annoying. He's rude to everyone. Mike is like he's the worst. <laughs> he, he sucks. He does not deserve a dog for Christmas. Um, but he wants a dog for Christmas, Charlie Brown. <laughs> yeah, it's just such a weird toned thing. It doesn't really have anything to say about Christmas. And mm. also it feels like there's a weird tone in this one that I don't get from any others. It's actually why I mentioned I made the joke I did on the previous one is because of this one. It has like, it feels it feels a little misogynistic. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. There's like some weird quality to it. But yeah, it's not the worst thing in the world. It's just, it the vibes are all wrong for something that honestly <laughs> means a lot to me. Like, I really, really love the Peanuts comics yeah. and the older, like, Peanuts shorts. But these are not the move. I gave it a <laughs> two and a half out of five. There you go. Then on the 17th, I watched Pris Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, uh, which again, we did a whole I've, episode. We did a whole it. episode on it. I've seen it before. Um, <laughs> we're showing these movies to somebody who like had never seen these movies all of their lives. They weren't allowed to previously. Oh my! Um, so it's a really it's a really neat series to show to someone. It's an unfortunate if time you can, to start this. I know. Like, I, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of around Harry Potter, and I don't I don't really love engaging with it right now. Yeah. Um, but it is like removed from its cultural context even with all of its flaws it's a really it's a really endearing series to show to someone despite jk rowling's best efforts <laughs> this is a really like these movies are good they're good they're yeah really no, they well are directed. good movies <laughs> and there's a lot of love put into them so even just seeing like a few shots from the opening sequence of Azkaban, it's like it was so easy to remember why it was my favorite of the series. It's oh, just dude. like effortlessly thing, like kinetic thing and is directed awesome. the heck out of. It's like, awesome. Say what you will about the first two, they have a real charm. Yeah. This one has like this one's going crazy for the entire runtime in oh, terms of direction. It's just a it's uh, a beautiful film. But yeah, I don't have too much to add. Yeah. I gave it a four and a half out of five. And then our very our very latest watch and our last film that we will be covering on this episode. Well, we went out to the theater yet again and we watched Die Hard. Yeah, it was in theaters um, for the very for the <laughs> I was about to say for like an anniversary, but I don't, I don't even think no, it was it, for it's an not an anniversary re-release. It's, it's just <laughs> because it's a Christmas movie. They slated it up. Yeah, but Die Hard. I'd never seen it before. We never watched it it's before. A, it's a big old classic. Yeah. And it was kind of weird. Um, <laughs> I think in terms of John... No, I don't want to throw this out here, Rami, but I think this 80s movie might have some weird politics. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's a bit dated. Um, even more so than like Predator or The Hunt for Red October, which are yeah. two of um, McTiernan's other movies I've seen. Yeah. Um, I'm much more of a Predator guy than like Die Hard. 
Um, yeah, this, I don't know, I had such a hard time getting on board with this one for its complete, like, mastery of, like, how to write a hero and villain dynamic and, like, how to structure an action movie and it's oh, shot yeah. so well. I mean, well. there are some all-timer things in yeah. here. This movie is incredibly influential. If you've seen, yeah. like, almost any action movie anywhere near similar to it, <laughs> it was, like, very clearly influenced by Die Hard. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a marvel of action filmmaking, but like at the same time, it gets so bogged down by its weird like gender politics and like xenophobic adjacent stuff and like weird <laughs> and anti-California. <laughs> weird pro-killing i mean not to mention it like very famously is like copaganda like yeah, at its, its core extreme copaganda and i just i There's had such this... a hard time connecting with john as a character we were, because of that we were in like flabbergasted <laughs> that by the end of the film there's like this running plot point with this side character oh, cop, goodness. Um, and it's revealed that he stopped going like being out on patrol and everything because he shot a 14 or no a 13 year old boy yeah he shot a 13 year old for no reason for no reason yeah um and like he was like i can't do it i couldn't bring myself to draw a gun yeah he's never drew, drawn Which, his gun you know, since maybe then it's a good thing. maybe it's for the maybe. best yeah um, but uh, the movie ends his character yeah. arc with him learning that it's okay to shoot people again yeah it's i don't know <laughs> All of the all of the payoffs, because, like, the whole thing is John finally has, like, a chance to show his, like, I guess, value as a as a partner to his wife. And yeah. it comes in the form well, of him, like, slaughtering a bunch of people. Yeah, there's this weird thing <laughs> where, like, they don't frame their issues, their relationship issues, as, like, John not doing enough. Like, it's 100% on John's side for the entire movie. It's like, oh, she left, and John didn't go with him because he was scared and insecure mm -hmm. um, and wanted to stick with his job. Like, it's very much comforting him on his side. And now she's over there in California. The with jerk. The, <laughs> with the annoying people that we don't like. Uh, and, and No, no, no. She, she's a successful businesswoman. You know, living a, a successful li like career with a seemingly happy children. You so, know? Like, that's such a weird setup to bring for like a relationship conflict yeah. dynamic. Like there's, they don't really ever get too much into why they separated fully and then they just like resolve all of this like the moment they start to seem like they're going to the whole hostage situation starts mm -hmm. and then just like the way they resolve it is like her growing more and more proud of him as he's killing people yeah. and like she's like that's John and then that's like my Johnny boy and then eventually she's like hanging this is the craziest thing she's hanging <laughs> off the side of a building with Alan Rickman yeah main villain, who rocks by the way who gives an amazing performance <laughs> holding on to her almost pulling her down and she's wearing this Rolex watch that was an achievement a gift for her achievements of being just really good in this company some could say hard. it's some kind of symbolic thing in the movie yeah, like a symbolic thing <laughs> that they mention and she has to actively take it off to be saved by John. Yeah. And it's just like, what? Uh -huh. Like, it's not the worst thing in the world, no. but it really is kind of distracting on the back of all of this because I don't like John. No. I don't like him as a person. <laughs> they go out of your way, despite all of this, 
to, like, again, the movie seems to be fully on John's side, but yet they go out of their way to show John literally leering at every single woman he can in the entire movie from the moment it starts. Well, and beyond just, like, that, like, even him as, like, he's set up as a reckless police officer, which I've, <laughs> I have a very hard time rooting yeah, for. He, he's a reckless police he's officer. He's like, that's what, likes, the captain's always saying. Who likes violence a little too much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> creeping on women through windows. Instead of, yeah, instead of me wanting to root for John, like, because obviously it turns out not to be a terrorist attack. It turns out to just be, like, a, a robbery of the building. Like, but I, I still don't want to root for him. Yeah, I was about to say, if it wasn't for, like, the extreme violence of the of the bad guys, I would definitely more root for the bad guys. Because, yeah. you know, with movies, I'm much more on board to watch an awesome con go on. Exactly, yeah, than, like an awesome like, heist movie. A violent... Violent police officer. Womanizer police, police officer goes on a murder rampage to justify to everyone why he was right the whole time. Yeah, the, it, it very much perpetuates, like, the good guy with a gun argument that's become so, like, drawn out politically in recent years. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like the whole thing has kind of aged kind of strangely in a way Which that a lot of fine. 80s stuff hasn't that I've yeah, seen. Yeah, I was about to say, it's aged worse than almost <laughs> anything I've seen from the 80s, yeah. which is kind of crazy. But, you know, it's still fine. It's still a really fun action movie. It still has some fantastic scenes. It still has really great performances. It yeah. still has really fun action. <laughs> it still has cool stakes, fun twists. It's like a good movie. It's still like the gold standard of like action screenwriting, but like also it's propaganda, and I had a really hard time engaging with it. So. Yeah, more so than most propaganda, because <laughs> usually I don't really mind propaganda that much. It, yeah, it's whatever. It 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 varies a lot, but this one is one of the more egregious examples I've seen. Yeah, I gave it a three and a half out of five. It's it's a solid movie. It's just not one that I would jump to return to anytime soon. Yeah, I gave it a three out of five. I was a bit disengaged for some of it just because I couldn't get on board with John for a lot of it. Yeah. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, I, I That's the last thing both of us watched. Yeah, it's the last thing both of us watched. <laughs> and it was in the theater. Who'd have thunk it? That was pretty cool. I mean, if, if you're going to watch it, watch it in a theater, I yeah. guess. You know, I've I've loved being <laughs> able to watch a bunch of really big classics that I would have never had the chance to watch in theaters and theaters. That's yeah. like the coolest thing to me. I had no clue that was even a thing until like we went to see like The Godfather yeah, on we my went, birthday that one time. The Godfather was one of the first movies we did that for. And <laughs> yeah. that was super cool to watch The That's Godfather so awesome. for the first time in theaters. Yeah. So... Yeah, there's been a lot of really cool... I, I, I suggest it. <laughs> Watching The Shining in theaters, Oof. The Godfather, Titanic. I thought you were saying you suggested Die Hard. Boy, I was like, oh. Old Boy, <laughs> Carrie. Like, there's just some really cool movies that I've watched in theaters that did not right? release in my lifetime. Uh, but yeah, th those are the things we watched this week. Uh, thanks for listening to the end of the episode. Merry Christmas. Yeah, I uh, hope you guys have a, a good holiday season. As Go watch yourself a good old Christmas movie. Yeah, uh, if you're if you're if you want, go watch the boy and the heron in theaters. Oh my goodness, yes, please go watch it. Um, Wonka also gets my yeah, seal of approval. Wonka if that theaters. seems like your thing, go give watch it, it. Give it some support. Yeah. Cool movie, very cool movie. I would argue. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks. We'll thanks maybe, for listening. May, maybe back next week. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Um, go watch a Jim Cameron movie too. It's mm. an important note. Jim. Go watch Titanic, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye, guys.